Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, where change agents and business and community leaders and faith leaders meet at the intersection of belonging, place, and deep remembrance. I'm your host, Troy Bronsink from The Hive in Cincinnati, Ohio. In this first season, we're framing our conversation around the relationships of three scholars whose lives' work have shaped and informed each other. Walter Brueggemann, Peter Block, and John McKnight are notable leaders in their own right, but at this point in their careers, their work has begun to influence the other. In fact, their friendship becomes a sort of model for how the common good shows up in tangible ways. My thought is, well, then let's reconstruct a communal world in the wake of modernism. <laughs> Let it go. Yeah. You know, you want to be on a superhighway. Well, you never meet a stranger on a superhighway unless you have an accident. So in some ways, this is like a chance to sit with some elders around a kitchen table as you can look out and see the Ohio River passing by and reflect on the nature of their work over the years and how that pertains to what's unfolding now in the common good of our neighborhoods and communities. Our last episode was about the performance of the common good, and this one moves more towards practice, the way that routine can reshape our relationships, the power of attitudes and the attitude of abundance to reshape homes and communities. And finally, this longer fascinating discussion that compares the built environment of paths versus superhighways to the value of smaller, self-regulating systems when it comes to the ways our communities value relationship over efficiency. John begins the conversation drawing a comparison with faith communities that have valued relationship in deep ways. I think of Quakers and Mennonites. They manifest more of the values and disciplines that we're talking about than any other group. They obviously have a communal heritage that is, is strong, but a lot of other groups started out that way too, but somehow it seems to me they have preserved it more, and particularly with the Quakers, the reason they have kept the discipline in performance is because unlike most all the other Christian faiths that are committed to Christian service, they remember John 15, 16, where Jesus says at the Last Supper, to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Mm. The only church I know <laughs> that took that seriously yeah. <laughs> calls themselves friends. And I think that very idea has nourished the kinds of disciplines that, that we're talking about. Friendship is our guide, not service. Right. In fact, as the conversation goes on, they differentiate between seeing this as ego work that we do internally or as an individual and really the shared practice of an entire community. And here's Peter. You say, when do you give up your ego? You come at it through the frame of psychology. In the language, is it a question of ego and a question of giving it up? And I, that means it's on me. Mm. to work something through. Mm-hmm. And we, mm. we were comforted by this notion that, gee, old people, have you worked something through yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's mm-hmm. one lens. And all of, you know. But there's a collective that, building on the friends idea. And I, uh, I go to a yoga class mm-hmm. 
And I know the structure of that class is going to be the same every day. And I know we're going to sit. And I know we're going to sing Om three times. And I know the yoga teacher is going to kind of have five minutes of something that meant something to them. Uh-huh. All right. And then I know we're going to get on our hands and knees. And I'm going to stick my right leg back and my left arm forward and hold on as long as I can. <laughs> and then we're going to stand. And, and even I sometimes think, we did this yesterday. <laughs> and I think that is a liturgy. I think. It is a liturgy. Mm-hmm. It's, it it's is a space liturgy. of silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a space of, there is a role for leadership. And the leader's very all over the place. But there's a, a belief system. It doesn't care about who yeah. I am and my personality or my right. style. Yeah. Right. It just says, and I I go because I know uh, I'm going to feel better at the end of that hour than I did at the beginning. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how I felt during the hour or how I hated doing some postures, some asanas. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're all I think they're doable and around us to create these. The Sabbath of three hours in my night with my children, I think. And the, and the scale, I, I've been doing groups for a long time. And I came to the conclusion that I'm, I'm good up to 125 people in the room. And you give me three hours with 125 people and we will have gotten to know each other. And so, you know, I think uh, there are the structures available around us that is a re-performing of something. Even if I don't know what I'm reperforming, right. I need Walter to tell me what I'm reperforming. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think that's a, that's a big yeah, part of the work. That's good. And, uh, that's right. And I think part of the reperformance of liturgy requires that it happen in a a same place over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we become a traveling show. Right. Any place will do. Yep. Well, yes, and this place will do. Yeah. What kind of place does this world? My place. Yeah. Right. Our place. Our My place. place. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. Our we, way. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Incidentally, uh, this whole idea of ritual and, and its value, I have a, a dog, and uh, the dog has brought Reperformance and order into my life in a way I've never experienced before, and and I now because of what the dog has taught me and brought deeply into my bones, I never had anything before that I did consistently and together and repeated right over and over, which I think is at the base of a lot of ritual. <laughs> And when I get up in the morning, uh, the dog uh, is waiting for me. You are you are standing at the door waiting for the dog. Okay, yeah, right. No, <laughs> but I know as soon as I get up, I am in in a different world than I was before Molly came to us, because that dog now knows that what we do is. We walk down the steps to the first floor, and on the step at the bottom, she sits down, and I sit down beside her, and we talk for a while, literally. Because she's always sitting there waiting for me, and I sit down. 
And then we go into the kitchen and she becomes anxious because I have these little dog sticks of food and she gets one and I give it to her and she goes into the other room. My day is given form and shape by this animal, who one might say is, is a creature of habit, <laughs> but it's, it's habitual creatureliness has brought wonderful, wonderful meeting experience into my life. And it's here that this relationship between meaning and experience and the way that we understand liturgy and regular practice moves towards uh, meaning and experience in relationship to money, and particularly to abundance. And this is Walter speaking. Abundance is an attitude. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a measure. Mm -hmm. It's an attitude. Mm -hmm. uh, Wendell Berry in his novel Jaber Crow has a paragraph about this one family. I think it's the Feltners. And uh, what he says is that when you, when you walked onto their place and entered their house, you were overwhelmed by abundance. It was, it was their attitude that lets you know there's going to be just plenty here and we're going to share it all with you. And it didn't have to do with measurement. It has to do with the way they were, they were present and so on. So there are people with not much money who practice abundance with their money, and people with a lot of money who practice scarcity. When I was at Columbia Seminary, uh, when I went home at night, I had to turn left onto Columbia Drive, which is a very busy road. And I began to notice that, that the only people who would stop and let me into the traffic tended to be um, people in old cars and women. Wow. And what I figured out, they were people who had not subscribed completely to the rat race or to scarcity. They, they had ample time mm -hmm. to stop and let me in. This was a, an amazing uh, reality of abundance. The roadway is a symbol of the of all of these things. Yeah. Like, uh, why? What? Why am I in a hurry? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wherever I'm going, I know nothing very meaningful is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. And, uh, I I think oh. all of these are best treated as social constructs. Yeah. I mean, even a dollar bill is a, oh, it's, yeah. it's done by fiat. There's nothing behind it. <laughs> it's an act of imagination. Yeah, I've got iron bracelets that were currency, you know, in Africa and. Then, yeah. And so you say, well, how do we want to construct this notion of, a, of trade, of money? Does it become a means or does it become a goal? Is speed a goal or just a way of it's something I imagine? And I've always believed that when people say I don't have time for that, it just meant they don't care. Mm. 
right. Yes. It's just me, which is fine. Yep. You know, there's much not to care about. Yep, that's right. And uh, when people say, I don't have money, well, it means that they, uh, they can't imagine themselves with enough. And, uh, and I think we create poverty by our being out of relationship with money. And, uh, and, and people who have very little money have internalized the wealth of kings as powerfully as the kings themselves. Mm -hmm. And so even if you gave them money, uh, their lives wouldn't change. Yeah. And so I think then if we say these are all constructs, and even food, our relationship with food is a social construct. Uh, food has got associated with charity. You know, every church, the most liberal church in the world, is proud of how many people they feed every day. Right. And it, it, it doesn't do anything about poverty. So I, I think poverty is best seen as a, a kind of economic isolation. And, and so if I say, well, what's the construction of all of these? Then it takes me somewhere. Then I That's say, right. okay, let's reconstruct mine. That's right. What, do you, what, what shall it mean between us? Yep. A covenant, okay, fidelity. What, what are the covenants with God, with each other, yep. that now we want to construct? Yep. And so it all takes a minute. Yes. You know, even therapy for years was 55, 50 minute hour. And every therapy, a therapist knew <laughs> that nothing useful was going to happen until the 46th minute. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. We've only got four minutes, so here's what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah. <laughs> and so this whole, you know, once you play with these domains, if you start with the notion that we made them up, it's a social construction, which is mm -hmm. awful language, but it's confusing yeah. enough to be useful. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and say, well, how do we want to reconstruct it? And, uh, and people are doing it all over the place. We have the notion of retreat. We still have, I think, your notion, Walter, of the Sabbath is really a work stoppage, reframes that time. And, uh, and then it's wherever you are, whoever you're with, you say, okay, how, what's the covenants we want with each other? Right. And how much time do we want to spend together and how do we want to occupy that time? Yep. Yeah. And uh, food, how much food do we need? Who will bring it? Mm -hmm. And uh, is it... It's amazing to me, we're so out of sync with food that I do workshops at health centers, hospitals, people committed to health, and they're still serving, you know, uh, buns, uh, all the, uh, the unhealthiest food in the world yeah. mm -hmm. is right out there for lunch. And we tried it with a health consortium in Michigan once, and I said, why don't we have really healthy food? And at the end, it's all people complain about. Where's the beef? <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. we have a funny, you know, we're, we're yeah. kind of swallowing yeah. scarcity every time we yeah. go out to eat. And here John takes a variation on Walter's use of the roadway as metaphor. A symbolic thing you call to my mind is the difference between a superhighway and a path. Uh, and you yourself, Peter, talked about walkability as being a, a definition of space that probably helps you understand all of the other disciplines, if, if you think about it within walkable space. 
Um, one of the things about the past and walkability is a superhighway is a way of being as senseless as possible. A path is a way of being as sensible as possible. And the anything in our environment, the world that, that we create, that allows us to be sensible rather than senseless, this I learned from Ivan Illich, is a way of understanding our way. Our way grows out of our being together sensibly, with full senses. The idea that I like about a path and walkability is that's when I begin to smell things. That's when I begin to see things. That's when, when I can touch things. All of those things that make me alive. How do we know if you're dead if you don't have <laughs> any use of your senses? We say you're dead a vegetable, right? <laughs> Has no senses. So I think a very good guide to an abundant life is to say, what, would I, what should I do that this wonderful gift of my senses can be manifest, and how can we do that together? My experience of the antithesis of a superhighway where you meet no friends, <laughs> I, I was once on a little dirt road in Ireland staying at a B&B, &B, and it was a one-lane road with stop-offs. It was a two-way traffic on a one-lane road with stop-offs, and uh, one person always had to stop off to let the other car by, and the protocol was that the car that got to drive by always waved yes. to the one that was waiting. And, and mm -hmm. that was a that was a covenantal operation. It was, and they and they, they the road was wide enough, wasn't it? It was wide enough for one car. Uh, I know, <laughs> and it worked. Yes, it worked. It worked exactly. India is the same way. You have roads with forty different contraptions moving in parallel down the street. <laughs> Ox, to the car. Yeah, yeah. and no police, uh, and right. no stoplights. Yeah. Yeah. And they, it's a self-organizing system. Yeah, yes. They, you know, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. And it does, it does change our relationship yeah. with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Self-organizing is, is a word that I, I cotton to. And I think that, in a way, these disciplines are, are guides to or opportunities for self-organizing, for creating what I would call our way. That is a, a culture that is a manifestation of our collective senses rather than the object of the market. So Walter, John, and Peter have written a book together called Another Kingdom, and in there they write, Neighborliness means that our well-being and what really matters is close at hand. 
and can be locally constructed or produced. In this modern time, neighborliness is considered quaint and nostalgic. So to make neighborliness the center of our social order requires an act of imagination. In other words, it's countercultural. As the conversation moves towards that type of local expression, you hear John say this in a pretty drastic way as he critiques modernity and begins to propose alternatives. I think of the modern world as a giant conspiracy designed to lead me to live a life of nonsense, Mm -hmm. senselessness. So what, what anchors all of these disciplines for me is following these disciplines will require you to be sensible. And if you are sensible, you will with others have a relationship that is as rich as it could possibly be. Yeah, I I personally like the convenience of my electronic stuff. (laughs) And so I'm slow to argue against it. (laughs) Because I can write a book now. The first book I wrote, it cost me $1,050 just to get a copy to send to the publisher. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Now I can can change it five times and it costs me. But I do think to, it's no substitute for the world you're the path that you're describing. You know, it's just a, I, I, I would rather call these electronic tools cute. <laughs> yes. what? Call them cute or gizmos. <laughs> Let's take the, take, the, take the steam out of that. Right. Fine. Yeah. I like right. the right. Yeah. It was nice. My thought is, well, look, then let's reconstruct a communal world in the wake of modernism. <laughs> Let it go. Yeah. You know, you want to be on a superhighway, yeah. well, you never meet a stranger on a superhighway unless you have an accident. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, or, you, or you have a ticket. Yeah. And so we can, in the wake of this modernism, yeah. and uh, we need to reconstruct in a place with covenant, with yeah. fidelity, yeah. with knowing that we have enough. Yeah. Uh, it'll take the time it takes. And, and then we'd say, what do we care about? Yep. Instead of being productive, which these are great. My computer is an amazingly productive tool. Yep. You know, and, 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 I, uh, and so I would not want to be distracted by it. I would name it like you had. Yep. <laughs> but then, so we have an hour together. We have a life together. You know. And it's doable, especially if you're not burdened by being productive. Yep. It's available to all of us. Well, this has been the Common Good Podcast, conversations at the intersection of place, belonging, and remembering. You can learn more about the work of Peter, John, and Walter, as well as the Common Good Fellowship and daily food for thought emails at commongood.cc. Common Good is a collaborative production of The Hive, a center for contemplation, art and action, and common change, eliminating personal economic isolation. We're produced by myself, Troy Bromsink, and Joey Taylor. Music is written and produced by Jeff Gorman. 
Hopefully by now you've recognized how powerful these uh, conversations can be in this example of an alternative way of seeking the common good. But uh, if you're like uh, Joey and I, you start to feel like, does anybody even get this right? And uh, then we realize Walter told us. People in old cars and women. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's right. Yes. That's right. <laughs>